0: As we think about being sensitive to God, we've been uh, dealing with a short series on the body of Christ, relationships within the body of Christ, following leadership, and also the whole issue of corporate worship. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll read a portion of Scripture. Then we'll have some questions, and hopefully, you'll be willing to share and interact at least briefly. But Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19 and reading through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, The Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who are believe and are saved. The overall thrust of Hebrews is presenting Christ as better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and so on. There's also the theme of <clears throat> genuine faith perseveres. God's grace comes through very, very loud and clear, and responding to that grace is very important. So I got some questions and would like some response to these questions. Agree or disagree? There are no free rides in this world. There are no free rides in this world. Agree or disagree? 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 There are free rides till I'm 18. Follow up. There are no free rides in God's economy or God's world. I'm not asking trick questions, by the way. This is food for thought. There are no free rides in God's economy or God's world. Any response? while you're thinking about that one next one is grace free Travis It it depends whose perspective you're looking from is grace free I think that's a very important question. Next question. What should our, and by our I mean our local church, what should our response be to God's grace displayed in Christ's once for all sacrifice? What should our response be to God's grace displayed in Christ once for all, sacrifice? let's go back to "Is grace free?" We we'll look at several passages in Hebrews. So we think about grace being free, and then if time permits, see how far we get this morning. Go back to Hebrews 10, but let's go to chapter 1. Is grace free? And I'm not trying to back anyone in the corner in your thinking, but to think about grace, is it free? Hebrews 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. A couple of questions in light of these verses. Verse 2, it says, But in these last days, He, God, has spoken to us by His Son. Now, why could God speak to us by His Son? Obviously, because He came to this earth, taking upon Himself human form, fully man, but at the same time, fully God. coming to this earth for christ brought with it a price fully god but he did not have use of what we might call independent use of all his attributes so jesus would get tired jesus would get hungry jesus didn't snap his fingers and everything was resolved Notice in verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things, and then after He provided purification for our sins. Christ providing purification for our sins involved what? Death. I would say costly. Costly. After he provided this purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and becoming superior to angels. Look at chapter 2 of Hebrews and verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under his feet, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What did Christ do? He tasted death. He suffered death. So that the grace of God can be extended. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, think about grace. You can't separate grace from Christ. You can't separate Christ from suffering, from difficulty. Verse 14 the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Here we have the creator of the universe in his majestic glory being confined to the womb for nine months, being born as a human. And experiencing the limitations of humanity. But so that his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice was made in the Old Testament. It cost an animal their life over and over again. Christ came and it cost him his life. Look at chapter 5 of Hebrews and verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Notice a couple words there. In verse 7, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. When you think of tears in the context of difficulty, they're suffering. There's something that we would say, is difficult. He learned obedience in verse 8 from what he suffered. He became the source of eternal salvation. Look at chapter 7 and verse 26. Chapter 7 and verse 26 of Hebrews. Such a high priest... Meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, it does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Notice something interesting there. Verse 27. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins. The priests in the Old Testament had to sacrifice for their own sins. Christ never had to sacrifice for his own sins. And the text clearly goes on to state that. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The price paid was Christ sacrificing himself. Go over to chapter 9 and verse 11. Chapter 9 and verse 11. When Christ came as, a, as high priest of the good things that are ready here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. Apparently the heavenly tabernacle. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Verse, six, or verse 12, Chloe says, Once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal Redemption. Is grace free? No. Unearned. But not free. It came at a price. Christ shed his blood. He came in human form. A price had to be paid. Because of sin, there's a penalty. When we say we get free grace... Grace is unearned. We said there's a lot of things in the world that are free. So suppose that we had said to Danny and Beth and Jason and Chris, when you turn 18, we're going to buy you a brave, spanking new car of your choice. It's free. It's not free. I would have had to pay for it. Free to them, we might say, but it came at a price. Just ponder that. What should our response be to such grace? We say, well, there's free rides. Someone had to pay in some way, shape, or form. Grace is unearned. That's what grace is. It's unearned. It's God's unmerited favor, but it came at the price of God loving the world, giving himself in the person of Christ to come to this earth, laying aside the use of his deity, and then shedding his blood. So what should our response be to that grace? Let's look at several passages in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Why should we pay more careful attention? Because of what chapter 1 says, that Christ is the exact representation of God's being. He sustains all things by the, his powerful word. He provided purification. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. What should our response be that we don't drift away because of Christ and what he has done? We humans have a tendency to drift. We need reminders over and over again so that we hold to. Verse 2, he says, For if the message spoken by the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifies to us by signs and wonders. And various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In light of this grace, in light of Christ, he says, hold to. Pay attention so that we don't drift. I think it was the spring or summer after we get married. Ruth and I get married in December. We went to, I think it was Cloudland Canyon, if I remember right, in Georgia for a cookout with some friends. And we decided we were going to build a campfire, and we built a campfire. And in the process of building the campfire, my wedding ring fell into the fire. It was loose, and part of the reason it was loose is because I wasn't doing as much farm work as when, you know, we would have measured for the ring. We put the fire out and we dug through the fire. The ashes and found the ring. Why? It was important. In the same way, I think, the writer of Hebrews is saying, pay careful attention, don't drift. Just as we dug after that ring, Don't drift from Christ because of the price paid. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I've said to My kids over the years, and I think I've said to my grandkids at times and talking to them, look at me, look at me. When I talk to you, look at me. And I think he's saying, those of you who have experienced God's grace, fix your thoughts on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Jesus the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God, all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Fix your thoughts on Jesus in verse 6 if we hold on to our courage and hope. What's the response? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, holding on to the courage and the hope which we boast. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Response to God's grace. Don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Encourage one another so that we'll not become hardened by sin's deceitfulness and hold firmly. Over to chapter 4 and verse 14. Therefore, brothers, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest designed able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In response to God's grace, in response to Christ, what's he say? Hold firmly to the faith we profess and approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Think about approaching God's throne of grace with confidence. We're approaching a throne where God gives to us what we don't deserve. And we're many times tempted to say, well, who am I to approach God? You're a nobody in and of yourself, but you're a child of God. You've been adopted in Christ, so you have freedom in coming to God. You're approaching his throne of grace. You say, I don't measure up. I don't always respond real well. I sinned yesterday. You're still approaching the throne of grace. It's unearned favor. We have that freedom because of His grace. An example of that. When we were in Chattanooga, we had an opal. And I was walking home from school one day, and I was... Ruth Ann was coming to get me, and I was getting to the intersection there, and Ruth Ann was coming the other way, and lo and behold, Ruth Ann had a wreck there and pulled the fender off of the opal. After we moved to this area, we had a blue VW bug, and she called me one day, and she said, "Dan, I wrecked the VW bug. I pulled the fender off. The bug. Same side, driver's side. And the fellow that hit her, it was his fault, by the way. Ruth Ann said, well, I'm going to call my husband. And he more or less said, I don't, you probably don't want to call him. He might be upset. And Ruth Ann said, I'm not worried about what he's going to say. He'll be more concerned about me than he will about the car. So Ruthann called, and I said, "Are you hurt?" and so on. And you no, know, somehow I get out to pick her up. But I think Ruthann experienced a little my grace. I'll say a little at that time because she wasn't afraid to call me. She knew I wouldn't. What'd you do? Oh, don't you know any better? She knew that wasn't going to be the response. So there was freedom to call and say, "I, you know, wrecked the car, same fender as the one in Chattanooga, but a different car." That's grace. Response to God's grace is the freedom to go to him even though 10 minutes ago we blew it. We can go to God and say, God, I blew it 10 minutes ago. (laughs) I admit that. But I need help in this circumstance because in verse 16 he says, we approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This Grace that is unearned impacts us in the sense that we freely go to God in prayer because of Christ being our great high priest. We don't have to back away from God. Because our sin has been paid for once for all in Christ. We have that freedom to go to God. So the response is, we go to God in His throne of grace freely, deliberately, and with confidence. Go over to chapter 10. Chapter 10. <clears throat> the start of the passage that we read earlier. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence that enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is our response? We draw near to God. Verse 23. Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, summer in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As we emphasized last week, because of Christ we have a confidence to enter the most holy place. Because we have a great high priest over the house of God. Our action, as we emphasized last week, is to draw near to God, to hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. To consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds and not to give up meeting together. So, Jerry, if you can take me back to the question is grace free? Think about the question is grace free? We talk about grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Is it free? It's unearned. But a price was paid. Christ. Our response to that should be one of sensitivity to God. Just desiring to love him, not to measure up, not to gain his favor, but in response to what he has given to us, that which is unearned. And that is why, as we will pick up with next week in verse 26 through 31, there's such a strong warning issued in light of God's grace, this warning if we deliberately keep on sinning and so on, is given. So my question, as we wrap it up, have you experienced God's grace? Have you come to faith in Christ? Then a follow-up question, are you experiencing God's grace? I didn't say have you, are you? Day by day, enjoying the grace of God and responding to that grace I grew up in a home that may be somewhat different than what some of you grew up in and I understand that I basically grew up in a home that ex- where grace was extended quite often Grace, I didn't deserve it, but I got it over and over again. There were times where my siblings and I would disobey mom or dad. We were generally corrected with grace. There were times we did some stupid things in the barn, like jumping off the hayloft onto the barn floor, you know, that's kind of stupid, you know, you didn't break a leg and so on. And we were generally responded to in grace. The time my two older brothers climbed the ladder up under the barn roof and mom looked out the window and saw my oldest brother up on the peak of the roof. We're talking, you know, many, many feet in the air. Dad had happened to leave the ladder standing. He had been up on the roof earlier and left the ladder stand. And two young brothers or boys, we're talking boys that were under eight, you know, explore it and get up on the roof. I think overall that was responded to in grace. When my brothers and I would do our eggs, wash our eggs, we would get bored sometimes and occasionally you'd find a cracked egg and the cats were generally around so we would take an egg that was going to be thrown away anyway and we'd aim at the cat and try to hit it in the head. No, just You needed something to break the monotony. Dad generally responded in grace. The time my sister was found in the steer pen when she was about three years old and with some bows and so on, just unbeknownst to her, the danger crawled in. Basically... My siblings and I would have grown up with a lot of grace. Mom and dad were not always on track or always perfect, but a lot of grace. My response to that grace when I moved into my teenage years was, I didn't want to hurt mom and dad who extended grace to me. So maybe I better treat dad's car with respect because he's been gracious to me. So I never laid any rubber on the road. I didn't spin my tires, you know, when I pulled away from a stop sign. That's dad's rubber. He paid for it. I was responding to grace. So when an opportunity came to hang with some Kids that were probably not going to be a good influence on me. I remember God's grace extended to me and think, you know, I don't want to hurt mom and dad by getting in trouble with these kids, so I'll back away from them. grace. Think about God's grace. Our response should be one of not responding to measure up, but respond because we're already measured up. In Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for grace. We know that it came at a price. But we also know that it is unearned. And you extend that to us freely. And our response should be, as we have discussed this morning of holding on, being sensitive to you, spurring one another on, drawing near to you, meeting together with others. As we would consider the strong warning that the writer of Hebrews presents, and we grasp but the warning is strong because of what grace is and what grace involves and the price that was paid. So this week, Father, in our home lives, in our marriages, in our jobs, in schools, when we shop, may we extend grace. We have freely received grace. May we freely extend it, Father, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.